Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and as always, thank you very much for joining. It's deeply appreciated. All right, on the agenda this evening, last night, as I record this, at least last night, UFC on ESPN plus 89. What a cursed card. Oi, we're going to talk about it. Then we have to preview UFC 295. Uh, that poor card. That took a hit. That took a hit last... I talked about it a couple of weeks ago when uh, John Jones tore his peck and fell out of that fight with Stipe Miocic. Took a hit. Um, seems to be okay on the recovery, but... Losing Jones versus Stipe was a hit. There's really not any two ways around that. Then, uh, a little bit of news. So... Yeah, there's been some news. There's some news. We will talk about it. Um, yeah, all right. I think that's everything. So, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Share around. Uh, you know, whatever your social media platform of choice happens to be, let people know about the show. Thank you. That's really tremendously helpful. All of it is. All of it is. But that's kind of the, maybe the easiest one to kind of monkey with is that one. Uh, all right. So that's what we've got. Let's jump into the show, shall we? I'm apologize. I'm a little. I might be coming down with a cold. I hope I'm not, but I might be. So uh, we'll find out. <coughs> Coming days. So if I sound a little off, or if I'm, you know, it's a little out of sorts. My, potentially minor physical ailment coming with the changing of the seasons, but nothing to be done about it. All right. Uh, let's get to it then. So UFC on ESPN plus 89. Before I get into the fights, let's talk a little bit about what happened. So a few weeks ago, long enough to still call this short notice, but not so long ago that it's like last minute. Um, our, the original main event for this card was Jelton Almeida and Curtis Blades. Blades had an ankle injury. Derek Lewis stepped in, but still kind of a replacement thing. Then... Um, we lost, was it we lost sort of day of? Because um, we were supposed to get, I one of the fights I previewed fell through. Um, hang on, no, uh, and then got a replacement. I want to say it was... Um, no, it wasn't Bahalio. Santos and Marcos? No, no, hang on. Because it turned into... The Elvis Brenner fight? I think I previewed that as a different one. Hang on, this is... I need the other website. That is more helpful with this stuff. I swore I previewed Brenner and someone else. Yeah, it was supposed to be Brenner and Esteban Rebovic. Um, Rebovic pulled out fairly last minute. And in stepped in his place. Um, hang on. Kynan Krzyzewski. Um, wait, did I preview that? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I previewed that in Rebovic, but I might be misremembering. Um, I might be. Anyway, then... The day of arrives. Well, the day before. The day of the weigh-ins arrives, and oh boy, do we have drama. So, 
Ismail Bonfim is supposed to fight Vince Pichel. Bonfim weighs 159 and a half. So a lot of people were very kind. And I get that there's a... Look, I understand people can weigh one, one pound over for non-title fights. I don't give them that when I talk about how much they missed by. Way I, just the way I do it. Um, so he missed by four and a half pounds. And... Vince Pichel looked at that and went, and he'd made weight. He said, no, not taking the fight. You know what? I don't blame him one bit. He had a pretty lengthy post about it. And when you miss by that much, I tend to be, I tend to not be very, uh, not very understanding. I'm more liberal than most. Right? I'm more lenient, maybe is a better way to phrase it, than most on weight misses. I'm happy to give everybody one, because I understand the randomness of the universe, and occasionally that will conspire to result in that event. But that's a lot to miss by. That's a lot to miss by. So again, there's a pretty lengthy statement from Pichel, and again, I do not fault him for looking at that, how that went down, and saying no. Not going through with that. So we lost that fight. We also lost another missed weigh-in. Um, I believe Daniel Santos. No, Santos pulled out. So Daniel Marcos. So during the week, I, I previewed, I think, Santos and Marcos. Where did I preview Hugo? I forget when that fell out. Hmm. look at this guy that might tell me I think I I don't think I previewed Hugo got a long winning streak though I might have pre no I did preview Hugo he was part of the preview anyway so Hugo was a something of a late notice replacement this originally started as Marcos and Santos Santos pulled out um, Hugo weighed 138 and a half for the bantamweight title fight, that fight fell apart. Um, we had one other fighter miss weight. Eduardo Mora weighed 119 and a half for a strawweight fight. Apparently, they're blaming her menstrual cycle. I understand that there's a degree of variability in the timing of that event. And I understand that it does things to the female anatomy. So, I'm not wholly unsympathetic here. Still, that's, you know, four and a half pounds. That's a pretty big miss. Uh, I think this was the first time both Bonfim and Mora had missed weight. Let me check that real fast, actually. Um... Pretty sure. Um, it is for Bonfim. And Mora, I don't think, has had enough fights for me to really think she... Got a problem with this. So it doesn't... Looks like a first time, the first time she's had an issue. And... I'm... I'm willing to just be... A, still a big miss, and I'm still not happy about it as a viewer, but 
willing to accept in both of their cases that you know sometimes bad stuff happens and there's not a whole lot you can do about it sometimes things just I don't like when you miss by that much because it doesn't speak well about how hard you tried to make weight but there also does come a point when if you're not like there's no graduated scale here if you miss by if you miss by one pound or you miss by seven pounds, it's kind of the same, right? So I, I, ju- I just don't. I prefer people try to get closer, but how medically advisable is it? You know, there's. I acknowledge that there's complexity here in a way that is frequently just bad for the. Just people don't like talking about the complexities of it because it's kind of a pain, but they exist. So there was all that. Um, then, during the broadcast, turns out we lost uh, Adolfo Vieira and Armin Petrosian. Petrosian falling very ill um, in the back. Uh, they're indicating some kind of... They said poisoning. My hunch is they mean food poisoning. Uh, which is fine. Uh, I only bring that up because poisoning implies something more deliberate, whereas food poisoning is just, you know, it still sucks. I've had food poisoning. It's absolutely miserable. Absolutely miserable. So I hope he recovers. Uh, I didn't hate that fight. I kind of hope they they just try to rebook it. Um, but So we lost that, and it just kind of wound up being that you know we didn't have a lot of fights and i've i've said before that sometimes the ufc will overstuff these cards this is all a function of broadcast time not quality little bit quali- quality is a byproduct is a function of broadcast time if you sign to fill 6 hours of air time which is what these things go generally start to finish then they have to fill it. And if you lose fights, you wind up with... There was 20 minutes between the start of the main... Between like what wound up being the prelim main event. Uh, Renat Fakhrundinov and Elizabeth Dos Santos. And the Brenner and Krzyzewski fight. Like, 20 minutes. Because in that time, we were supposed to get Brenner and Krzyzewski. And then... Uh, Petrosian and Vieira were going to kick off the main card. And <laughs> they just threw it around with some video packages and uh, they let Dean Thomas and Dan Helley talk. It was... Man, I, I wish I... I... So many other things I could have done with my life for 20 minutes. So ultimately, we got what? Hang on. Three, four, six, seven, eight. Yeah, only a 10 fight main card. A 10 fight main card would have been really nice if this thing was like four and a half hours instead of six. That's a bit. That might, hang on. Main event, five rounds. Okay, five. Like, you, you lose three fights. Yeah, cutting somewhere between an hour to an hour and a half off of the six-hour normal runtime is kind of justified there. 
anyway. That's... It just kind of was what it was in that respect. And I had mentioned beforehand that there was some there was some stuff on this card worth looking forward to. That there was some stuff here that was like, yeah, you know what? The main event is potentially relevant, which is true in the heavyweight division. And you you pick and choose down the line. You got some stuff in here that's not bad. Then well, we lost a couple of the fights I was looking forward to. Bonfim and Pichel I was looking forward to. Um, what's the other one? I actually was kind of looking forward to Vieira and Petrosian, so we lost the two fights that I was looking forward to. Um, and then some of these fights, man. Some of these fights. Wait, but... Before we move on to the... I don't want to be here forever. You know how long I'm here already. But before moving on, I wanted to kind of throw a few things around here. Because in the wake of a bunch of people missing weight, the discussion kind of got brought up again. You know, what are we doing here? A financial penalty... I don't know how great I feel about it, if I'm going to be honest with you. Because... Look, man, fighters just kind of get the short end of the stick on that already. And boy, did we get confirmation of a bunch of that this week. More on that later. So it it just makes... I'm not sure how I feel about it. All right? I'm not saying it's the worst thing in the world. I'm saying I'm not sure. And I wonder how much of a penalty it is. Look, some of these guys are coming in and, you know, we're on our second fight off the Contender Series or whatnot or debuting so it's like hey 12 and 12 oh you get you know what 20 30 percent of my show that does not the penalty does not include the win bonus such as a win bonus exists it's only for your base purse and the ufc used to have that bit where it was like you know if you miss weight you're ineligible for post-fight bonuses and then they blew that up whenever they felt like it because the ufc does whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it as often as possible should clarify that they do whatever they want to do when they want to do it as often as they can feasibly get away with it maybe the best way to phrase that and yeah it's i don't know i don't know what to tell you um, so I saw Aaron Bronstetter put forth the following. I- I've got a possible idea I want to throw out there, and I don't know how I feel about it, but I want to put forth the idea for public consumption. So Bronstetter's idea was, oh, make it like what happens when you miss weight in a title fight, only the guy on weight is eligible to win the belt. In this case, only the fighter on weight is eligible to get a win, If they win, what we get is a no contest. I don't hate that idea. And I want to just say very plainly at the the outset, I don't hate it. It's, It's an idea. And... Again, I don't know how much I love it, but... It's something that I might like to see tried. So the other thing that... So my idea, such as you want to give this credence, that, I'm, again, I'm kind of kicking this around in my head, 
if you fail to make weight, it cuts... This might be abusable, which is one of the reasons I'm not sure about it. But failure to make weight removes one fight from your contract. So if you've got a four-fight deal and you miss weight on your first fight, congratulations, you've got two left instead of three. You have the one that happens, so that's one that would take you to three. You lose one fight off your contract. Now again, this might be abusable by people just desperate to get out of their deals. So I'm. there would need to be some refining there. And I'm okay with you saying, like, you know, this, this ain't perfect. We, we're still... I'm still kind of hashing it out in my head. But just straight up penalizing fighters a percentage of their purse, then penalizing the guys for not taking the other side of that fight. Dude, Pichel is going to deal with a mountain of crap for this. We saw what happened with Wonderboy when he said no. Pichel is probably going to deal with a mountain of crap. There's a decent chance that um, Marcos will. And there, because that show, quote unquote, show money, that's not again. That's vernacular. It's not contract language. Contract language for this is, you have your bout purse, which is awarded on completion of the fight, and then if you win, they give you a bonus. That's the contract language. Because if it was show, you'd have to define what show means. And a reasonable argument could be put forth that showing is being there, making weight, and being fit to fight on when the bell you know, when the bell sounds. In which case, if the other guy falls out, you're still entitled to your show money, which the UFC doesn't like because it gives them less leverage. So, again, Pichel's probably gonna have to deal with some crap over this, and. Unfortunately, this is the only kind of way to deal with it. The UFC just gets pissy about it because it messes with their machinery. But oh, again, I'm so I've thrown my idea out there for consumption. Feel free to call me an idiot. Okay, I, I this is not an idea that I am married to. I am not here saying I have solved the problem. And if you disagree with me, you don't understand. Like, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm I'm pitching an idea out there. That's all I'm doing. And maybe it's crap. And so be it if it is. But I, I just figured I'd toss that one out there. All right, moving on to the actual fights. Main event, Jelton Almeida defeats Derek Lewis via unanimous decision, 50-44, 50-44, I was live, I think it was like 50-42. Or 50-43. No, I gave him 310, so it would have been 50-42. Okay. This fight kind of sucked. Now, let me stress that when I say it kind of sucked, I mean mostly in the entertainment quotient, where it falls woefully short. But... uh, More than that. How do I... How do I feel about this? So... Jelton Almeida is a... He showed some decent wrestling here. Before his wrestling wrestling had been a little iffy. He actually showed some better straight wrestling takedowns and whatnot here than he has in the past. And 
credit to him. Doing that against Derek Lewis is not necessarily the easiest thing in the world. And he was able to take him down, reshoot when he needed to from his knees. There's a couple of fun interactions here throughout the course of the fight, but they're few and far between. Almeida's passing game, really, really good. Here's here's the problem. Um, watch the first round of this fight. And then just stop, because every other round is just that. That's a, you know, That's a broad generalization, but that's what it is. Um, thinking about this fight, talking about it, how we have to kind of parse this after the fact, um, Gilton Almeida's offensive, um, urgency from top position, really a problem, really a problem here in this fight. Some of that might have been dependent on Derek Lewis, um, because Derek Lewis is good about He's usually pretty good about getting up from underneath, especially if you're not mindful of your P's and Q's in top control. Even with that being said, there was a real, real lack of, again, just urgency. Almeida had, he set the record. This is, congratulations, Jailson Almeida, you set the record for the most control time in a five-round fight in UFC heavyweight history. He had 21 minutes of the 25-minute fight that were counted for him as control, uh, in, in a controlling position. He had so much mount time, so much back mount time. He just... I don't know exactly what Derek Lewis was doing on bottom in terms of how he achieved this result, but Almeida just ran out of ideas. Like, okay, I'm in full mount. I can't... You know, there's some hand fighting going on from Lewis, so I can't really strike the way I want to. I can't get an arm bar. I, I half try to transition to the old arm triangle a couple of times, and that's not doing anything, and he's not really... Okay, I got the... Ba- like, he had, like, a handful of ideas about... like he, It seemed like he had his routine. This is what I do from this position. And when that routine didn't work, he didn't have subroutines. He didn't have plan B, C, D... They just weren't there in his arsenal, or he just didn't go to them. And it led to a very boring fight. Apparently, depending on where you were looking at, this fight just going the distance at all was like 12 or 14 to 1 odds. If you took Jailton Almeida specifically by decision, you got paid. I understand the odds of that being a little bit longer, but if you knew someplace to begin with live betting... After that first round, you should have taken the distance. <laughs> because. Yeah. Um, it became kind of apparent. I don't. Again, I don't know kind of what to. After the fight, Almeida. Again, look, if you if you get into the weeds on some grappling exchanges, and I don't mind doing that on occasion. There's some stuff here that you can find, but you're more likely to find someone who really knows what they're doing like writing about it and just using clips instead of having to sift through the entire stupid fight for them so maybe better ways to get this than actually revisiting the whole 25 minute affair so disappointing disappointing fight Um, not the worst fight of the evening 
but definitely a disappointing one. After the fact, uh, Jailton Almeida called out Cyril Gone. Uh, live, I kind of went, you know what, whatever. They're both kind of one-dimensional fighters. Having thought about it for, you know, 20-some-odd hours at this point, I'm more inclined to think they should just remake the Curtis Blades fight. It's not that... I don't know what the timetable is for Blades' return. He suffered an ankle injury, and that's why the, that fight fell apart. But if he's on a reasonable timetable to return, and Almeida's... You know, Almeida didn't like suffer any damage in this either, so he might want to just stay busier, but... Um, I'd rather see the Blades fight remade. I'd rather see that test for Almeida at this point than what Cyril Gon represents. Just my opinion on it. As for Derek Lewis, he's just Derek Lewis. He is who he is at this point. He does what he does at this point. Whatever. Um, I mentioned, well, I should mention again, this was the UFC's return to Sao Paulo. First time since 2019, and that poor city has a trend of bad main events. Because this one was not good. Not the worst fight of the night. That's another heavyweight fight on this card. We'll get to it, I promise. But a letdown and not a very good fight. The last time they were here in November of 2019, bonus points if you can remember this off the top of your head. I had to look it up. But the last main event that was here in Sao Paulo was a light heavyweight fight between uh, Jacare Souza and Jan Blahovic, and that fight kind of sucked. So, Sao Paulo had to wait four years and got another really underwhelming main event that went the distance. Uh, I don't know. Nothing to be done about it, but... Uh, that's where we are. Uh, Co-main event. I did not pick this one right, but I did call some of this. So, Nicholas Dalby defeats Gabriel Bonfim via TKO knees and punches, 4-33 of the second. So, I said here last week, go back and re-listen if you think I'm lying. I picked Bonfim. I am not out here saying that I did the, I did the thing, right? I, I didn't pick the upset. I picked Bonfim. But I did get a look at the odds related to this one, and when this fight started, Dalby was plus four something. I want to say 425, but don't quote me. doesn't matter. Four to one, give or take. I said last week, that's asking for trouble. And if you do the value bet thingy, and you don't mind losing, but that kind of plus money on Dalby, I thought was, for those who gamble, don't, don't take my gambling advice, please. Certainly not exclusively. There's very rarely do I see value in some respects when it comes to this, but plus 400 for Nicholas Dalby against Ismail, uh, excuse me, Gabriel Bonfim. That, that seemed wider than necessary and like they were asking for trouble. Lo and behold, we get a pretty crazy first round. This was your fight of the night, wasn't it? Which I didn't agree with, by the way. Yeah, this was fight of the night. Didn't agree with this being fight of the night, but... Um, certainly don't hate it. I gave Bonfim... Sorry, this is Gabriel. Yeah, I said Gabriel. Not Ismail. Ismail, I thought. Um, 
First round I gave to Bonfim, but you saw Dalby do what Dalby does. He pushes a crazy pace. He's a good enough, he's pretty technical. So these two, they were both lighting each other up. Both guys got hit. Both guys got messed up. Bonfim got a takedown at one point. Pretty good top control. Again, enough to win the round, but not at a sustainable clip. And Dalby comes out second round, same thing. Just pushing forward relentlessly. Stops a takedown, just and he just melts Bonfim. Just a barrage of elbows and knees and clinch strikes and pace and sticking him out against the fence and hurting him at different points and finally just drops him with knees and then pounds him out on the ground. Um, not not going to break my arm, pat myself on the back here, but only to say, again, I did not pick it. I didn't pick Dalby. But occasionally I can spot when some of these things are out of whack. Four to one underdog on Dalby, that was way out of whack for this fight. So, good win for Dalby. I saw some people doing the, well, both Bonfim brothers have been fraud checked. That's a bit much. Um... Dalby's a tough out for the majority of that, especially people in the position of Bonfim. Talented, a little bit younger in their career, still kind of getting their feet under them in some respect. He is a nightmare for that level of fighter. I don't care who you are. I'm not going to say that... Um, you could make... Maybe Ishmael a little bit more than Gabriel if we're talking, again, like, oh, no, they're frauds. They're all hype. Like, it, I don't quite buy that with Ishmael. He's one and one in the UFC. Let me just do Ishmael for a second. Yeah, Terrence McKinney might be a stylistically favorable matchup for him, but he won that pretty cleanly. Then the Benoit Saint-Denis fight got people are sleeping on Saint-Denis in ways that they really shouldn't. Um, I'm, I'm not willing to call your first UFC loss and your first loss since 2014, uh, loss against Hanato Moicano, by the way, like that guy being the first guy to beat you in nine years, that actually tracks in ways that I don't think relate to fraud. Missing weight here was a bad look. I, jury's still a little bit out on Ishmael. Um, and again, I'm just not, so Gabriel, fewer fights, again, he was 15 and 0 coming into this, and he's only 26. Guys, the number of great fighters who have this kind of loss on their resume that, you know, I'm doing really good, I'm... You know, borderline burning through the competition. I get to the UFC. I even make a good impression. And my reward for all of this is a tough, dangerous veteran who knows how to use veteran savvy. Like, that was almost the story of... Dude, Khabib is very close to having that loss. His second UFC fight. People don't remember this necessarily. Khabib Nurmagomedov's second UFC fight was against a roadblock in that division named Glayson Tebow. 
who I had a real soft spot for as a fighter. And this is the one fight in Khabib's career that people who really have a discerning eye look at and go, you know, he maybe should have lost that fight. He was uh, officially it was 30-27 across the boards, which I don't agree with. I've become more sympathetic to scoring that fight for Khabib as a and kind of in general. But scoring that for uh, Tebow is very, it's not unwarranted at all. So one of the all-times, and the all-time greats, where exactly he fits in that discussion, I leave up to your individual discretion. But he almost had this same kind of loss. Guys who go on to have great careers frequently have that first stumbling block, especially if they get to the UFC undefeated, against someone almost exactly like Dalby and what Dalby represents as a as a challenge. I'm not going to hold this against Bonfim. He fought well in the first round. This is just kind of what Dalby does to people. Next couple of fights are going to be more informative. So I'm, I'm not willing to sign off on fraud checked here yet. This was a step up to a tough opponent and... A lot of guys who go on to do great things have this kind of loss on their resume. Still a loss. Good win for Dalby. Um, afterwards, he said, please, UFC, I'd like to f- have a Denmark fight. Um, I don't think the UFC's been to Denmark yet, have they? Actually, let me check that. My hunch is no, but... Yeah, they have. They've had one. They were at. Uh, they were in Copenhagen for in 2019 for the uh, the event between Hermanson and Cannoneer. But so he, he's asking for a return for again. We're talking about a four-ish year absence, a little over four. Hmm, might be not the worst idea in the world. Um, but. Good win for Dalby, and if you were smart enough to can see the value in the odds on him, I commend you for your payout. Um, the worst fight of the evening, Rodrigo Nascimento defeats Dante Almeys via unanimous decision, 229-28, 130-27. This fight sucked. This was every crappy heavyweight fight you've ever seen. All I'm going to do is say boo. Boo earns to this fight. Middleweight, another fight that this wasn't a great fight either. Um, Kyle Bahalio defeated Abus Magomedov in unanimous decision, 130-27-229-28. I was 29-28, I seem to recall. Um, Magomedov's cardio is just a problem. He, that guy faded badly in the third round. And let me turn some of my critical eye to uh, Mr. Bahalio who I still think has a lot of... like. There's still a lot of good there. Most of his really good work is done on the ground. And he was... He chose... Not, I don't know if he was purely unable. I think he only shot a couple of takedowns all fight. This fight never hit the ground. And it turns out on the feet, he's relatively pedestrian. 
So we got 15 minutes of him just being a slightly more active, slightly better striker than Abus, and I was more underwhelmed than I'd care than you know I expected to be. But I also have to admit, at this point in the event, I was pretty I was pretty burned out. I was. Um, we weren't. Co we were actually coming off a decent enough stretch of a couple of fights, but the pacing had kind of burned me a little bit. So, yeah, not not the most auspicious showing for Bahalio and Magomedov. I don't know what we're doing here. I I don't know what we're doing here. And I mentioned already this fight, but kicking off the main card at a catch weight of 165 pounds because Kruchewski took this fight on short notice. Elvis Brenner knocks out Kainan Kruchewski with a wicked left hand. Just face plants him. Um, really a thing of beauty. Absolute thing of beauty. Nice finish from Brenner. Um, that guy's getting... Brenner's getting slept on a little bit. He persevered through a tough fight with Guram Kutudeladze. Got cut up and then came back to win it. Might have to pay attention to that guy. Uh, this was a really nice knockout. Um, what I thought should have been your fight of the night... Um, next up on the... So that was the main card. Prelims. Renat Fakrandinov and Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos fought to a majority draw. There was a 29-28 for uh, Fakrandinov. And then two 28-28s. So Fakrandinov, good first round, drops uh, ZDS against the fence. Good stuff on top. You could have gone 10-8 for Fakrandinov in the first. It would have been a little generous, but you could have done it. Second round, Zaleski Dos Santos gets to what he does fairly well. He's moving. He's landing front kicks. But he's a little bit on the back foot. And he's not able to find the target, especially with his punches, all that reliably. I gave... And there was a takedown for Fakradinov uh, that kind of muddied the waters. I still give the second to Fakradinov, but Zaleski Dos Santos started to kind of... Get going a little bit. Third round, um, at one point, Fakrandinov just, he catches, uh, sorry, Zaleski Dos Santos catches Fakrandinov with this really nice front kick. Right to the body, right timing, right positioning, folds him up, gets on top, um, starts landing strikes. You could have stopped this at one point, and it would not have been... I don't think it would have been wholly unwarranted. I'll just put it like that. I'm not sure I completely... There might have been some protests in certain circles. And I don't, th again, I don't think that would have... Those would have been wholly unwarranted. But... Um... The ref called for action at one point, and Fakrandinov, he wound up getting back to his feet, fought on, but giving him 10-8 for Zaleski Dos Santos in the third, completely warranted. Um, no issues whatsoever with this being a majority draw. This was a darn good fight. Good back and forth. Just, again, really good stuff uh, from everybody involved. So... Hats off to both guys. Don't know what you do with each of them next, but you could do a few different things. I actually wouldn't hate a rematch, to be candid, 
But I, I still think pretty highly of Fekretinov. This did showcase a few things he might have to work on. Um, his striking, he's got power. Um, it does need a little bit of uh, variety, a little bit of polish. He started throwing a lot of the same thing once. Uh, he, his toolkit was a little limited, is maybe the better way to phrase it. He's got some tools that are good. But not every problem is not every you know not every problem is a nail. And even and if you have a hammer, then again the old joke is if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I understand the sentiment. Um, his tools were a little limited here. Need some work needs to be done there. His wrestling went away a little bit down the stretch. I don't know if that was purely a cardio consideration. I don't know if that was just because Zelensky dos Santos is very good in that respect. Could be either one. Some stuff still to work on there. But he took a step up in competition against a very tough guy. Zaleski Dos Santos does not lose very often in the UFC. And he, both gentlemen fought well. Again, kudos to them both. Really good fight. My fight of the night. Um, fun one. Worth looking up if you didn't see it. Uh, next up, we had a light heavyweight fight, and Vitor Petrino knocked out Modestus Bukowskis with a punch. Pretty good finish here. Pretty good finish out of this one. Um, Bukowskis had kind of been showing this, like, fake the right hand, come with the left jab or left hook thing for a while, and he just did it one too many times. Petrino read it, and when he showed the right hand, crushed him with a left hook. Um, real nasty knockout. Good, good finish from Petrino there. Um, Angela Hill defeated Denise Gomes via unanimous decision, 130-27-229-28. Solid enough win for Hill. Um, not a whole lot to this fight. Catch weight again, because Eduardo Mora missed weight, but she just bullied Montserrat Ruiz in route to a second round stoppage. Size difference, even if Morta had made weight. I said this about Ruiz last time. That's a woman who probably really wants to fight at Adam weight. Um, UFC doesn't have Adam weight, so she fights at 115 and is undersized. Mora looked like a pretty big 115-er, even, even if she was able to make weight. She's got a long frame for that weight class. Uh, just, beat, just beat up Ruiz. Um, not a competitive fight. And kicking everything off, Mark Jacquesi defeated Kawei Fernandez via split decision. There was a 29-28 either way and a 30-27 for Jacquesi. I think it was 30-27 Jacquesi. Um, Jacquesi did not wear the knee sleeves, so you were. I kind of thought, wait, is he gonna? Is he gonna? Is he actually gonna wrestle? Because he normally has to wear those for that. Different wrestling, but yes. Um, Fernandez had a decent enough first half to the first round, but once Jacquesi was able to get a clinch, get him close, just out wrestled him. I can see the argument for Fernandez because Jacquesi didn't do a whole lot on top in different places, but ultimately Jacquesi won. Um, not much of a fight, uh, if we're being honest. And yeah, that was it. Poor card. Uh, again, the, I felt bad for this card. Not poor in quality, but like, man, I feel bad for you. Serious hurdles that I just wasn't able to overcome uh, when the rubber met the road. I uh, mentioned already, but some of your bonuses. Fight of the night went to Dolby and Bonfim. I would have gone Fakrandinov and Dos Santos, but I'm me. 
Performances went to Elvis Brenner and Vitor Petrino. That tracks. If the UFC, again, is kind of back on their, well, if you miss weight, we don't bonus you thing, then Mora would have been disqualified. If you disqualify Mora, then Petrino and Brenner are the only other finishes, in addition to Dalby, who got his bonus for fight of the night. So That's it. Full report in the MMAZone411mania.com, per usual, so stop by, give it a read. Always appreciated. All right, uh, moving on up. So, UFC on ESPN... UFC 295, I can talk, is this Saturday, November 11th, from Madison Square Garden, where they are charging a thousand bucks for the nosebleed section, or at least they were when they had John Jones in the main event. Um, I talked about it before, but Jones had the pec tear. I think this was the same injury that Cody Rhodes had in terms of like the tendon coming off the bone. He says we're looking at like eight months. That's about what it was for Cody. Probably about what it will be for John. Um, and Stipe, depending on who you believe, either turned down the fight with um, Pavlovich or was not offered. I tend to believe Stipe in that instance, so there's that. New main event was the old co-main event. For the vacant light heavyweight title, which is cursed, Yerdy Prochka, former champion, and Alex Pereira, former middleweight champion. I don't know what to expect out of this fight, but it will be crazy. Um, Prochka won the belt in that... The most entertaining light heavyweight title fight the UFC has ever produced. His title win over Glover Teixeira. Um, hands down. <laughs> Wild fight. Absolutely wild fight. But he then had the shoulder injury. He relinquished the belt. We know the story then. There was a fight for the vacant belt that went to a draw. Then Jamal Hill wound up winning it. Then Jamal Hill ruptured his Achilles tendon. And now we're back here. Um, okay. Uh, let me say this about Alex Pereira before we get into this. If he wins, which is not at all impossible, I'm not, this is not my pick, but if you think him winning is impossible, you're out of your mind. I don't even think him winning is necessarily unlikely. Um, certainly not the most unlikely, but if he wins, the long and the short of this. This is a guy who is a former two-weight world champion in kickboxing. In fact, he was inducted into the Glory Hall of Fame this last week. If he... And he did that in the last, like, three years, I think, right? Because he announced his retirement to focus on MMA after... Yeah. If he goes from being a two-weight world champion in Glory to a two-weight world champion in MMA in this course of, like, four years, I think. Three to four. That's remarkable. That's utterly insane to have pulled that off. And, yeah, look, he got fast-tracked to the title at middleweight because he had history with the champion. True. So he still had to go beat the champion. And, no, he couldn't defend the title. Well... Yeah, turns out Israel Adesanya is also really good. 
And the light heavyweight division is what it is at this point. Yes, not the most competitive division in the world, not the longest trip to the title. All of that is true. I don't care. If he pulls this off, that is genuinely an all-time accomplishment in combat sports. I don't know exactly where, but two-weight world champion in glory kickboxing to two-weight world champion in MMA in less than five years? Like, calling that a... Calling that a an all-time achievement in combat sports I don't think is unwarranted. It is it is incredible. That is a genuinely incredible achievement. Is that what's going to happen? I oof, I am less certain about that. So I don't know exactly what Yuri Prohachka is going to look like coming off of the layoff because shoulder surgery can mess with you. Um, depending on exactly what he injured and what had to be done, there might be mobility that's permanently hampered. Um, there might be some range of motion. There might be strength issues. Who knows? We don't know what he's going to look like. He's also, even when he's, you know, at his best, he's a wild kind of fighter. He's not, he doesn't fight like a jerk. That's a different kind of consideration for fighting wild but he's a little wild in his fighting and not even necessarily again not necessarily in the bad way but he's he's crazy he will get into a war he will fight you everywhere he will throw everything at you punches knees kicks elbows Spinning stuff on the feet, on the ground, in the clinch. You're in a fight with that guy from start to finish. I don't know how Pereira will hold up to that over five rounds if this starts going deep. The counterpoint is that it might not go deep. Forhachka has some defensive holes he's there to be hit being there to be hit against someone who hits like alex Pereira is a recipe for disaster so i don't know exactly how this is gonna go i think we're in for a crazy fight one way or the other and i'm down for it I am not going to be surprised by either man winning um, because they're both really good. I am going to ever slow slightly lean towards Prohachka here. I think his propensity for the war, I think his propensity for dragging fights late I think that's I think that works in his favor. Now the official odds have Pereira as a slight favorite. I find that completely understandable. In fact, let me find the other odds. 
Um, not just the ones the UFC puts out. Uh, I imagine it's still going to favor... Listed here? They should be. Hang on. Looking. How do you not have that listed here? It's the main event. Check this. This might be easier. Okay, that's just... That's just weird. It's not listed here. So all I have is the UFC one again. Uh, odds makers leaning towards Pardata. I get it. I absolutely get it. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna pick for Hotchka. Might be very wrong, and that lay again the injury and the layoff. Like there's reasons to go with Pereira here. I don't think it's crazy, and I don't think favoring him. I think he's like minus 155 to plus 135. That seems about right. That doesn't mean I'm not gonna pick the upset. <laughs> Um, but that, I'm looking forward to that fight. That should be pretty crazy. Co-main event is now for the interim heavyweight title. I went over this when I talked about Jones, the Jones and uh, Miocic fight falling out. For the sake of reiteration, Jones has the title. He wants to fight Stipe because it's a legacy fight. Jones is about done. Miocic is about done. I'm fine with it. These are probably the next two best heavyweights. I don't know where exactly I want to consider Gon here. I, I tend to rate him highly, but I don't quite know where he fits into the scheme of things. But these are certainly, if we exclude John Jones and Stipe Miocic, and I don't think it's unfair to exclude them, these are two of the top, I'd say two of the top three, certainly two of the top five heavyweights in the UFC. And... This is going to be the real belt. Assuming John Jones and Steve Miocic fight on a reasonable timetable, call it eight, nine months from now-ish. I've said this before. I tend to think Jones wins that, and then I tend to think he retires. I think Stipe retires, and I think whoever has this belt gets promoted to full champion. I'm okay with it. But... Pavlovich was always the backup for that title, for the fight with Jones and Miocic, and I had a good laugh when that was announced. Neither guy was going to accept a short-notice change for Pavlovich. They weren't going to do it. But his opponent now for the interim title is Tom Aspinall. And... This is a good fight. The short notice, about two weeks, for Aspinall is a problem. On a full camp, I would pick Aspinall over Pavlovich. Not by a whole lot, but that's where I would lean. Without the full camp for Tom Aspinall, I'm leaning Pavlovich just a little bit here. This is still not an easy fight. Um, Aspinall is very good. He's light on his feet. He's got power. He's got ground skills. He's... He's a tough guy to try and deal with. In fact, uh, his only loss in the UFC was that injury one, right? Against the Curtis Blades? Yeah. Um, which sucked. And he came off of a... He ran over Marcin Tabora when he came back. So, 
He's still good. And I've... Man, his only losses... First ever loss early in his career got caught in a heel hook. His next loss was a DQ for an illegal downward elbow, and then he didn't lose until he blew his knee out 15 seconds into fighting Curtis Blades. Picking against him is... Eh, that's iffy, man. I don't, I don't feel great about it. And full camp... Yeah, I, I would favor Aspinall over the vast, like, the majority of that division, actually. He's, he is very, very good. He is very good. But on short notice, Pavlovich has only lost once. That was his uh, UFC debut when he fought Alistair Overeem. It's a big ask. And he has just been putting people in the ground since then. All finishes, all in the first round. And that's Marcelo Gol, Maurice Green, Shamil Abdurahimov, Derek Lewis. Lewis wasn't happy with that stoppage, but I could see it. Tai Tuivasa, he knocked him out. Curtis Blades. And the longest fight of this stretch was four minutes and three seconds when he fought um, Shamil Abdurahimov. He's a very cautious fighter. Pavlovich just has, like, bombs at the end of his arms. I don't think this is the last time we'll see these two fight. Next time, I might favor Aspinall, depending on how this one goes. Um, but on short notice, I, I... The short notice thing is big. It's just big the way these two line up. I'm going to lean towards Pavlovich, not by a whole lot, and I will not be surprised even a little bit to see Tom Aspinall get his hand raised. Not even a little bit, man. Not even. This is, uh, but this is a tough fight. I expect craziness, and I expect one of these guys, I don't think... I'm not going to jinx this by saying there's no chance this goes the distance. I'm going to say that it is profoundly unlikely. Pavlovich has not been the distance his entire UFC run. I don't think Aspinall has either. Yeah, Tom Aspinall in his entire career has never been three rounds. And Pavlovich um, has, what, two Three. Three decisions in his entire career. None of them have been in the UFC. I'm just saying the under prop bet on this is going to be favored very heavily and for good reason. Uh, really good fight. Okay, next up, women's straw weight probably crowns your number one contender. Now that Zhang Weili just kind of beat up Amanda Lemos for a while. Mackenzie Dern and Jessica Andrade. I've kind of been after a rematch between Andrade and Zhang for a while. Unfortunately, Andrade at this point is a little bit over the hill. She's th she's only 32, but important but here. 
36 total fights and has been in the UFC since 2013. Um, she's well over a decade in the UFC. Has how many fights in the UFC at this point? Hang on, I need a specific number here. 25 of her uh, 36 fights have been in the UFC. She's on a three-fight losing streak now. Granted, Aaron Blanchfield up at flyweight. Yan Xiaonan and Tatiana Suarez. That's a tough stretch of three fights. I don't fault her for losing those three, but uh, it's not great. It's still not great to be on that kind of a streak. And... Dern seems to have finally found herself in the UFC. She had the majority decision loss to Yan Shaonan. That was a five-round decision. I kind of, I think I scored that a draw. Um, but she looked pretty darn good in her five rounds against Angela Hill. Um, this is a serious test for Dern. Andrade is strong as an ox. Hits really hard. If Dern hasn't tightened a few things up, there's ways for Andrade to win this. But I don't know that Andrade is at a point in her career when I'm comfortable picking her against up-and-coming, or even just kind of statically talented fighters. Andrade might be a little washed. And I hate to say it, again, she's on the younger side. 32 is... Not old for fighters. That's kind of the peak of your physical prime, generally speaking. But almost 40 fights and 25 in the UFC over 10 years. That wears on you, man. And she's fought also. Jessica Andrade has been in the trenches and is a former champion. Like, she hasn't just been hanging out. She won the belt. And, it, but it does just kind of wear on you over time. So I'm, I'm going to lean towards Dern. Um, I don't, I don't know how great I feel about it. But, I'm, that that's where I'm leaning. I'm leaning towards Dern just a little bit. Lightweight, darn good fight here, actually. You have a good pay-per-view card, by the way, for this one. Um, Matt Frivola and Benoit Saint-Denis. I, I said or talked about Saint-Denis a little bit ago. Um, being slept on. Frivola, three-fight winning streak. All finishes, all in the first round over Gennaro Valdez, Atman Azaitar, and the impressive one was over Drew Dober. Because Dober is hard to finish. Uh, Saint-Denis only lost once up at welterweight. He fought Elijah Zaleski Dos Santos on short notice. Because he's a maniac and went the distance with him, too. Never lost at lightweight. Four in a row. All finishes. Uh, Nicholas Stolze, Gabriel Miranda, Ishmael Bonfim. He was not supposed to win that fight. And then Tiago Moises. Um, this is going to be crazy for as long as it lasts. I, I'm kind of coming around to Benoit Saint-Denis. I am going to... I think I'm going to pick him here. Um... Yeah, I, I'm okay picking Sandini. 
but I expect some fireworks here. This is a fireworks fight. And kicking everything off at featherweight Diego Lopez and Pat Sabatini. Um, Sabatini had a rough fight with Demon Jackson. He rebounded okay against Lucas Almeida. Lopez is just, might be a bad matchup for him, man. Sabatini is mostly a wrestler, uh, top position grappler. Lopez is a very good jiu-jitsu player. Um, he lost his UFC debut on short notice. But Lopez rebounded pretty well his last fight. Uh, when he beat Gavin Tucker in the first round with a triangle. Yeah, he fought Movsarevloyev on short notice and gave him a pretty darn good fight. Uh, he's good. Um, I'm actually going to pick... I'm going to go with Lopez here. I, I think he's a tough... I think Sabatini will make this tough, but I think there's a stylistic component here that is um, that is pretty rough for Sabatini to overcome. Getting the underdog again. I must be... I'm not the brightest guy, but we'll see. So that's your main card. That's a solid pay-per-view main card. It's not as losing Jones and Miocic is going to hurt your box office no matter what. That's just reality. But bang for your buck on paper. You got two title fights. Well, one title, one interim title fight. But they're both they both feature two of the best guys in the respective divisions. Frivola and Saint-Denis is going to be pretty crazy. You know, that's a solid pay-per-view for your money. All right, on the prelims, um, Steve Flyweight, Steve Erceg and Alessandro Costa. Here. Um, okay, we... What is the bout order here? Yeah, this is next. Okay. Sorry, this... It's a little bit all over the place, depending on where you look. Um, Erceg... What lost his U one and zero in the UFC? Beat David Dvorak in his UFC debut, actually, which is that's nothing to sneeze at. Costa, Alessandro Costa, thirteen and three, one and one in the UFC. Lost to Amir Albazi. Beat Jimmy Flick. That was a pretty brutal finish. I think I'm gonna lean towards Costa here. I have odds on this one. I have odds on anything here. Uh, most of the odds seem to be favoring Urseg. I, I'm okay leaning towards Costa, but slightly. Urseg's pretty good. Uh, we have another strawweight fight. Tabitha Ricci and Lupi Godinez. I think I'm okay picking Ricci here. Um, Ricci has never lost at strawweight. Her flyweight debut was somewhat short notice up against Manon Fior. That's a tough ask. One or last four. Lupi's fun, but up and down. One or last three, though. I don't know, that, that feels a little bit like a Ricci pick to me, though. Odds are with Godinez. Boy, I am. I might be very wrong on this one. I'm favoring the dogs. It's another one that I don't feel strongly about. Um, and I'm not... So it won't be, I don't feel strongly, so either girl is perfectly capable of winning that fight. Um, lightweight Nazim Sadikov and Vyacheslav Borshov. Good old Slava Claus there. This is a good fight. Um, Borshev has been a little bit up and down in the UFC. Came in early. Um, 
which I don't like to see. He's seven and three overall, two and two in the UFC. Um, lost to Mark Jacquesi and Mike Davis, then beat Mahashate. Um, he needed that one. Anyways, fighting uh, Nazim Sadikov, as mentioned, who is an Azerbaijani fighter, nine and one. 2-0 in the UFC. Sadikov wins over Evan Elder and Terrence McKinney. Um, circle this one on your cards, by the way. I, I am okay saying this one should be kind of... This one should be pretty good, and I have no problem leaning towards Sadikov. Borsh of one of those cautionary tales, I think, about getting into the UFC too early. He's got potential, but there's a lot of stuff that needs to be kind of sorted out there. So, uh, I'm with Sadikov. Uh, but, good fight. Not sure if Mateusz Rambeski will be on this card. He was supposed to fight Nurulu Aliyev. Um, Aliyev had some kind of an injury. I would be okay... What are they going to pick Rambeski against that particular Aliyev? Hang on, I wish to double-check that. Um... Aliyev, 1-0, beat Rafael, Al Rafael Alves, undefeated. I might have favored Rambeski there. Um, Rambeski, 18-1, 2-0 in the UFC. Long winning streak, what, 15 fights, something like that. Um, yeah, I would have hit. That's a good fight, for the record. Rambeski and Aliyev is a good fight. I would have favored Rambeski. Perfectly okay picking him in the dark. If they find someone on short notice, perfectly okay picking him. Um, do we have a replacement? I don't think we have one. Yeah. Um, it's still listed. Yeah, we don't have a replacement yet. No problem with Rambeski in the dark. Uh, let's see. Jared, so uh, next up... Early prelims. Jared Gordon and Mark Madsen. That's a pretty good fight. Uh, Jared Gordon coming off the no contest with Bobby Green after they banged heads. Unfortunate he wasn't doing great in that fight before that, but still unfortunate. They had a they had a decent fight going. Um, Madsen, I believe, is coming off his first UFC loss. First ever loss when he lost to Grant Dawson. About a year ago, actually. Dawson missed weight, which, you know... Complicates the matter, but about a year off. He have an injury? No, just not that's listed at least. Okay. Um, Gordon can be out wrestled, but Madsen has cardio issues, and Gordon doesn't. I imagine Madsen will have a lot of success or some success early and fade down the stretch. I'm gonna go with Gordon. Um, odds makers agree with me. Sorry, I, I gotta stop doing that. It makes me feel weird. Bantamweight, John Castaneda and Kyung Ho Kong. Mr. Perfect. Um, he changed his name? He might have. I'm not changed his next name. Um, he came back from his military service a little bit ago. Two-fight winning streak over Dana Batgari and then Christian Quinones. Um, John Castaneda... Little bit up and down in the UFC, two and three, excuse me, three and two. Lost to Nathaniel Wood and Daniel Santos. Beat Maureen Gofford off his last time out. It's a pretty good little fight. 
I don't know what to think about Kong. Um, he's good, but how old is he? He's 36. Castaneda is only 31. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Castaneda there. The ages the age plays. The age plays. Uh, flyweights Joshua Van and Kevin Bor Borjas. Borjas, where are you from, sir? Assuming that will help. Um, Peru. So Borjas. Okay, I believe that's how that goes. Um, Van had a somewhat interesting UFC debut. He got a split decision win over Zalgas Jumagulov that I didn't, I don't think he won. I scored that against him. Um, pretty good fight though. Um, Borjas. His nickname is El Gallo Negro. I did not use a slur there. Case anyone, case anyone, wait, what did he say? His nickname is El Gallo Negro, and I can't remember what that translates to, because I know Negro is black in Spanish. So he's the black something. Cause I think that gets transposed in the English to uh, Spanish translation. I don't know. Maybe it is something horribly offensive, and I just offended everyone who speaks Spanish they listen to. I find that unlikely, but who knows. Um, Borjas is making his UFC debut, four-fight winning streak, coming in on that sweet 12-12 and 12 contender series money. Um, that's a tough one. That's actually a tough one. Odds on this one are favoring Van at the tune of about 2-1. to one. That might be a bit... I don't know. I, don't, I haven't seen enough of Borjas. I'm going to go with Van. I know more about him. But some of these guys coming off the Contender Series getting... They get fights that are maybe not de designated wins, but we haven't quite passed the point. There's going to come a point when so many people are coming off the Contender Series that the UFC can't give them quasi-preferential matchmaking. I don't know that we've crossed that point yet. We're close if we haven't, but I'm not sure we have. Oh, again, I'll lean towards Van, but towards Van, but plus money on Borjas might be a decent bet. And kicking everything off at featherweight, we have Dennis Bazooka and uh, Jamal Emmers. Emmers had a tough fight his last fight out with Jack Jenkins. He lost a split decision. He could have won that. I scored it for Jenkins, but. Going the other way is not wrong. That was a heck of a fight. He's um, two and three in the UFC. Lost UFC debuts against Giga Chikadze. That's always tough. Pat Sabatini beat him. And then again, the split with uh, Jack Jenkins. That's a tough... That's a tough stretch of UFC fights, man. Um, Bazooka. Bazooksha. I think there's a slight different pronunciation there. Um, he is... He had a pretty good UFC debut, didn't he? He's 11 and 3. Lost his UFC debut to Sean Woodson. Oh, right, 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 and he missed weight. Missed weight too. I'm okay leaning towards Emmers, not by the biggest of margins, 
But Emers has been in the trenches through his five UFC fights, man. And I, that counts for something. So I'm going with Emers there. And that that's the card as it currently stands. Saturday, you have forwardmania.com uh, in the MMA zone. I will be covering it. So if at all possible, stop by and say hello. I always appreciate all of that that you're able to do for me. So thank you very, very much. All right. Um, let's talk about the UFC lawsuit because there was uh, some movement. So I've talked about this a little bit. Um, not as much as others. I always encourage you to pay attention to um, John Nash at uh, Hey Not The Face on Twitter. Um, Eric McGracken are the ones who've done a lot of good work on this. And if you're just interested in the polemic side, you've got me and... Less polemic, still a little polemic, but with a bit more, uh, but with some entertainment value. The good folks over at Morning Combat, um, primarily Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell, have talked a lot about this. And I tend to enjoy those two's work, so, and the entire MK crew, so listen to them. If, you, if you're listening to me, I have a hard time imagining you listening to me and not at least being aware of their existence. But... The UFC, uh, this, this relates to the lawsuit, the uh, Kung Lee versus Zufa lawsuit, which covers like December of 10 to July of 16, 17, something like that. Um, so for this like five and a half year period, they're being sued for unfair business practices, being a monopoly, blah, blah, blah. Well, the judge had made a, the judge had finally gotten around to issuing a proper ruling a few months ago. Um, giving class certification, so every fighter, um, not so every fighter who's a member, every member of the roster who, what was the specific language? Hang on, I, I wish to be precise about this, so let me. Find this specifically. Okay, here it is. Found the specific language. Um, this is a class certification because class action, this is, that's where class action comes from. So, all persons who competed in one or more live professional UFC promoted MMA bouts taking place or broadcast in the United States from December 16th, 2010 to June 30th, 2017. The bout excludes all persons who are not residents or citizens of the United States unless the UFC paid such persons for competing in a bout fought in the United States. There will be fighter members of the, ro of the roster current or past who do not qualify. There will be some people who are not U.S. citizens who did not fight on U.S. soil. And that would exclude them from this. But Connor qualifies, no U.S. citizenship, but was paid by the UFC to fight in the United States for darn sure. So there's a lot of, this covers a lot of people, I forget the exact number, but anyone who fought for the UFC at least once during that time period is now part of this. Fighters can opt out of this. The, the way class certification works, I apologize if you heard me talk about this before. I'll be brief, I promise. Anyone who qualifies is automatically considered part of this unless they specifically opt out. To the best of all available knowledge, 
No one has opted out of this. Frankly, you'd be stupid to opt out. If nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it. And you're well, you can just say, eh, I didn't get around to filing the paperwork. You know, there, there's any way, number of ways to play off not opting out. But if you do opt out and there is a rule, I'll get to this in a second, and there is a ruling, you are no longer entitled to part of the ruling. So no one's going to opt out of this. I don't care how much of a UFC homer they were when they were with them or are still with them or how much water they've carried for them after they got cut. There's a few people that come to mind. No one's going to opt out of this. Hey, look, man. Chael Sonnen's been... I don't call out specific fighters all that... or personalities all that often. I don't find it useful. And I'm not a big name. I'm not a big brand. I don't need the headache that tends to come with that. But I'm just going to point out that Chael Sonnen has made a lot of noise about... Um, you know, he's doing, he's carrying some water for the UFC. He could, he is eligible for this. He is part of this class. I haven't heard him opting out yet. Just throwing that out there. Um, but we had movement on this. So after the judge made that ruling, uh, Zufa filed an appeal, which they're entitled to do. So they appealed this and there were a few things they were appealing, um, uh, but the point there was the only place they could appeal was the Ninth Circuit. This is, the Circuit Appellant Court in the United States Judicial System is right is the uh, level that exists right below the Supreme Court. They can't appeal this to the Supreme Court. The, you can't. You can appeal. Like there's certain things you can appeal that high. This would not be one of them. And I bring that up because the Ninth Circuit read the petition and refused to hear it. They just rejected it. I said this was the most, this is the most likely outcome when it comes to dealing with the appellant courts. I'm not a lawyer. I know several. I have a interest, I have kind of a fascination with the law. I might be, so I might be missing a few steps here. I don't consider this legal advice, please, for the love of all that's holy. But dealing with appellant courts, they can agree. It kind of breaks down into three categories if you appeal to them. They can agree to hear arguments, which is, again, we will hear you. There'll be a hearing. You'll present your case and your briefs and the other guys will do that and we'll hear it. And we'll make a new ruling. They can do that. They can issue a essentially a summary ruling which is oh this is wrong this screwed up do x y and z that's rarer but it can happen frequently you try you get that like after more official that you don't, you rarely get that on just your filing of appeal but it does happen where they the, uh, the appellant court will order judge did again x wrong redo this fix this whatever they can't, the other, so those are the two ones. The third one and the most likely one is they don't want to hear from you. There's two subcategories of this. One is they kind of issue an opinion, which is why we're not hearing you. And the more common one is what we got here, which is denied. Go away. This is 
what this amounts to is the appellant court saying there's no reason for us to hear this. The, the other judge is correct. Go, move on. Because anyone is entitled to appeal for good reason. The judicial system, while it has its problems, I genuinely, I genuinely and generally believe it's, you know, the way it's supposed to be. Um, they... Uh, again, not perfect. Not perfect at all. But there's a lot of good architecture that gets bogged down in specificity and scheduling and, well, the nuance of the law. Don't know what to do about it. But being your appeal being denied this flatly by the appellant court, the Ninth Circuit in this case, because that's the, the circuits, for those of you who don't know, are geographic. Um, because this is taking place in um, Nevada, Nevada is part of the Ninth Circuit. And you can look up the different circuits if you're so inclined on your own time. Um, but that being rejected means the only thing left to do is have your trial or settle the case. That's it can't appeal anymore you, you can't appeal rulings like this to the supreme court if you're going to appeal an outcome to the supreme court you can use different rulings as part of your argument but you can't appeal a specific ruling um, such as it is so this is a big deal for the MMA landscape. Huge. Uh, the judge had set a... Tr the, the relevant judge had set a trial date for April? It's April or March. Forgive me, I can't remember which one, but one of those two. And if you've read the language that the judge used in some of his previous rulings... At the moment, he's not leaning favorably towards uh, Zufa and the UFC. It's Zufa in particular, but I'll say the, I'm going to say the UFC for the sake of conversation here. So that's a problem for them. And I don't know. It, it's still unclear whether this will be a jury trial or a bench trial. Frequently, in fact, I think the major, uh, when I say the majority, I mean just over 50% of the time, antitrust stuff like this is done bench trial, not jury trial. I don't know, again, I don't know that that's been decided in this instance yet. But keep in mind, um, if part of the argument or part of the hope is for either party, but for the sake of, I'm going to use the UFC, not because I think this is their big hope or that I'm saying anything negatively about them. This is just for the sake of argument and for the sake of conversation. If the U part of the UFC's hope is if we can get 12 people who are kind of stupid, and I don't mean to insult jurors, but the jury select the jury selection process is a process for a reason and 
people get selected, again, for very specific reasons. But if part of the hope is we can present arguments that will look good to a jury and kind of, you know, lose them in the sauce a little bit when it, as far as um, you know, legalese that would that may not work on a judge, if that's part of your hope and it turns out, no, it's a bench trial, you're arguing to the judge, that changes things. The same could be true, by the way, for... Uh, so I'll make the case for this if in good faith here. The same could be true for the plaintiffs. If part of their what they want to do is get up there and point out, look, look at all the money the UFC makes. Look at how little the fighters make. Boy, doesn't this seem unfair. That it appeals to emotion. Uh, they kind of argue this is jury nullification. Which is weird because that term actually has a few different uses that are not always the same thing. But if part of what you try, your part of your strategy is, I we can appeal to the innate sense of fairness that people have, and we can point out how greedy the UFC is now that we've got you know access to their books and payouts and whatnot, and this isn't how this should be done. And instead, you have to argue that to the judge. You go about it differently, and again, you might still get nothing. This is one of the things about trials. They're kind of all or nothing. Um, very rare you get to get a middle ground. Most lawsuits like this, when you get to this point, have the odds of settling go up dramatically. Because if we go through with some of this, the judge could make some rulings that would be very bad for the UFC, not just monetarily. One, they might just throw a giant number at them and say, okay, UFC, you have to pay... X. And X would be divided up amongst all of the class, which is why the specifics uh, become important. And that could be a lot of money, if depending on how the judge feels about uh, unfair business practices. For that period of time, again, we're talking how much money did the UFC generate over that six-year period? It's a little less than that. Um, how much money did they generate? If the judge decides that you, the fighters are entitled to half of revenue from that period of time, we know we can find out exactly what that is. And suddenly, you know, that could be that could be a billion. Straight up. That could be a billion dollar and change ruling just in that singular payment. It could get worse if the U, if the judge because of how some of his rulings have gone um He's said that fighters are qualified for injunctive relief, which means the judge can issue a temporary injunction that would change the UFC's business practices. If the judge says UFC contracts cannot under any circumstances be longer than two and a half years, that's it. They, now, naturally, that would get appealed, but that's and if that becomes permanent, then... Well, the, this could fundamentally alter the way the UFC does business, could fundamentally alter their profit margins. This is an existential threat to the UFC. And by extension to TKO and Endeavor and whatever they're calling themselves. This is big. This could be really, really big. Now, here's one of the other things about this that kind of gets brought up on occasion. 
Um, there are protected monopolies in this kind of space here. The NBA, the NFL, um, MLB, like these are these are organizations that have monopolistic or monopsonistic positions in the market. This is counterbalanced by a couple of things that are again these are balanced delicately. But two things in place for, I'm going to say the NFL for the sake of conversation, but apply this to any of them. Things in place for the NFL that can keep them from falling into illegal practices. One, they allow market competition between the teams. Because the individual football teams are competing for talent. This helps. And there is a players association. There is a collective bargaining agreement in place for the players. So you have the big structure of the league. You have the individual ownership of the teams. And you have collective bargaining for the athletes. None of that is in play for the UFC. If there's a collective bargaining agreement in place for the fighters, that actually goes a long way to fixing some of this. So that might be ordered, believe it or not. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff that can be at play here. This is, again, this is big news. This is really big news. Um, as a sub-note to this, we a lot of stuff got unsealed. If you are in the position of wanting to go through full payouts for fighters and i don't just mean the disclosed stuff i mean everything this is um for all the conspiracy theorists out there going no no fighters totally make more there's discretionary bonuses and yeah disclosed pay in your contract which is all some places require you to disclose is not total pay true that's never been in dispute what we have now is everything this is everything. This is your contract money. This is your pay-per-view points. This is your locker room bonuses. This is whatever the UFC felt generous about. This is it. And we know how underpaid some of the fighters are, including the top ones. Look, I'm happy to sit here and rag on the UFC for signing guys at 12 and 12. It's a little bit pathetic. The most underpaid guys in the UFC, guys and girls, are the ones that draw. We know what Ronda made for that time period. We know. We know dollar by dollar what Ronda Rousey made. We know dollar by dollar what Connor made. It was a lot less than everybody was spouting. Forbes is out there speculating he made $20 million. He did not make $20 million over that whole time period. We know it. And you, when you look, I'm not a Connor fan, okay? I'm not. When you, but when you look at how much revenue Conor McGregor has generated for the UFC versus what he is paid, he is underpaid. Stop. Full stop. Not because I like him, not because I think he's a good guy, but this is I, I have a way that I think this should operate. He's underpaid. Man. The UFC... So when... when um. What was Connor's first big payout? Was that the Mendez fight, I think? 
Hang on, let me find Connor here. Because we know Anderson Silva, he had, uh, we know what Anderson Silva made over that time period. Um, man, for as good as Silva was, underpaid. He made, what, two and a half for Vitor, two for Okami, two and a half, so hang on, that's seven, nine, ten, fourteen, seventeen, twenty-four. Dude, for you won't find a boxer who was Anderson Silva in the sport of boxing who only made $24 million over 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, $24 million over nine fights. That would be a scandal in the world of boxing. If you had the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world over that over this period of time, don't care who you think it is. Let's say, Ter for the sake of argument, I'm going to say Vasily Lomachenko. He's not right now, but I'm going to use him as an example. If that guy made was being paid what Anderson Silva was paid, would be a scandal. Uh, but we know GSPs. We know Brock's. Um, where's Connor? Yeah, Connor, okay. So Connor made, including a discretionary bonus, he made 3.2 million, uh, 3.28, let's call it 3.2, for the Chad Mendez fight. It was UFC, which one? Hang on. Because that was at a time when I think they still reported certain numbers. So I am going to find out exactly what this was. Hang on, Connor, do, 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 Chad Mendez, UFC 189. Um, yeah, okay. So that had a buy rate of 825,000. Do the math on that if you want, because they were still they were like 60 bucks a pop. A total gate of 7.2 million. Um, which one was it? Hang on. Because there was a weird stat about this. Okay, yeah, here it was. Okay, not it wasn't it wasn't the Mendez fight. That's not what I was thinking of. Okay, but for these the five fights Connor had during this period, that's Mendez, Aldo, Diaz, Diaz, and Alvarez, right? So Connor was paid 6.8 million for the Alvarez fight. That pay-per-view generated 66 million dollars in pay-per-view. Dude, the gate that Connor drew over these five fights was 54 million dollars. And he made a total of, hang on, 3.27, I'm, I'm just going to do some quick math here. So 3.2 plus that is 7.6 plus 5.5 is, uh, I can't do math. It's too late for me to do math. Why am I doing math? Um, okay, hang on. 3.2 plus 4.4 .4 is... 7.6 plus 5.5 is 13.1 plus 5.6, 18.7 plus 6.8. So 20, we're still in like the 27 ballpark, right? 
Um, and yeah, to say to say nothing of and again, that's it. Dude, his first pay-per-view with Nate Diaz generated 61 million. Again, the Alvarez one was 66. The man's underpaid. So was Ronda. So was John Jones. So was GSP. So was Anderson Silva. This is not about how you feel about them as individuals. But if you want to go through some specific documents, we have a lot of unsealed documentation out now. And it, it just shows how little fighters are paid. At every level. Every level. So we'll keep an update on the lawsuit as that moves forward. Again, trial set to start currently first quarter of 2024. So we'll see. All right, last note I have here, then we'll check Twitter. But uh, the UFC has another potential state they're going to blackball. So Georgia approved one championship's rule set. Um, one championship has gone to a few different states and said, you know, we'd like you to sanction our rules because they're different from the unified rules. They, in, um, the one rule set includes the, they allow knees to the head of a downed opponent and 12 to six elbows. I have said this for a while now. I've come around on this point. The rule set for one is better. That is the superior rule set. We need to move over to it. Everybody better rule set. But Georgia looked at it and said, okay, we'll allow it. Uh, they've got an event sanctioned there. The UFC is probably not happy. They were pissed at Colorado when Colorado sanctioned one. Georgia's doing it now, too. So don't expect uh, the UFC to go to Georgia anytime soon because they're still blackballing Colorado, and we'll just have to see how that goes. But something to pay attention to. The rule set uh, is breaking up a little bit. Not quite as oppressive as it used to be. All right, that's all I've got for news. So let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do... Oh, sorry, meant to say briefly. The lawsuit update, um, Bloody Elbow. Bloody Elbow has some of those figures and links to some other stuff. There's, They got the details. Go check them out if you want the specifics. I forgot to do that earlier. My apologies. They've got it. All right, let me check Twitter if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. All right, nothing new, so plugs. Last week, I was part of a Damn You Hollywood for the Five Nights at Freddy movie, which I did not particularly care for, but the fans of the franchise seem happy with it, and you know what? We've all been burned watching something we love get adapted, and adapted badly, so you know, I'm happy that they're happy with it, and I don't say that ironically. I absolutely mean it. Um, but also not being attached to the property means I don't care about some of the specifics of the film. So anyway, uh, but you can listen to that. Um, there is no damn you Hollywood this week. We will be back next week for the Marvels. So, yay. You know, if it wasn't considered a war crime... Uh, or certainly a violation of human rights. I have a song I might sing about this. <laughs> but uh, you don't need to hear me sing. It's not a, It's not pretty. It's not pretty. But um, other than that, my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage, MLW stuff on Thursday, WWE SmackDown on Friday, UFC 295 on Saturday. We will be back here next week to review UFC 295, and we will be previewing... 
Um, UFC on ESPN plus 90. Back at the Apex. Ooh. What do we got there? Got to be something. Allen and Craig in the main event. Yeah, that could be worse. Got to be something here. There's, oh man. Okay, hang on. I, I, I must find something. Chase Hooper and Jordan Levitt might be weird. I don't care about Amanda Hebus. I don't care that much about Johnny Parsons and Erdos Medic. Uh, Jonathan Pierce and Joe Anderson Brito. Is that really what I'm hanging my hat on? I think it is. I do not feel good about that. I do not feel good about that. Morgan Johnson. Uh, Christian Leroy Duncan. He had a rough last outing last time. Yeah, this is not a good card. This is not a good card on paper. So let's really hope it over delivers and we'll give a full preview of it next week. So come back for that. Thank you as always. All right, I'm out. Till next time, stay safe out there. Thank you again for everything you do listening to this show and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.